Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. We're going to read a few verses. If you're there, can you say amen? Amen. Verse 14, the word of the Lord says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's continue with chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Come on, somebody. Preach the word. Calvary, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, somebody say, as for me. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. In this third part of our series, the last hour, I want to talk about the the war that's going on, the anti-Christ, anti-God spirit that is coming against what I believe is God's word. I've titled this message, if you're taking some notes, and maybe on your phone or on a notebook, The War of Words. The War of of words let's open up this conversation for this week that we're going to do through all of our connect groups and all of dream team as we talk about the war on the word of god and i'm going to share a little bit and start this conversation for the next 25 minutes and then we'll worship god one more time and then go have an incredible sunday amen 1 p.m you good Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your word that it is good for our soul. Thank you, God, for your truths. Thank you for Calvary Church. Thank you for this third service, the 1 p.m. Thank you for all that you've done all day. So many making a decision to follow you and to get baptized. Thank you for everyone that's connected. Holy Spirit, I know that you are here, and I pray that today you would heal. You would open up eyes. You would set us free. You would help us to become more like you. You would draw us closer to you. Thank you for your love, your spirit, your kindness. You are good, and we love you. And uh, for that, we give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. And all of Calvary Church says? Amen. Ah, come on. All of Calvary Church says? Can you make some noise for Jesus one more time? 
October 31st of 1974, a man by the name of Ronald O'Brien was a man of deep financial need, apparently, because he was drowning in debt. He had a lot, of a lot of debt to pay off, so he started to try to formulate and devise a plan to get some kind of financial gain. He was a, a sick man, and he was not well, and he came up with a wicked and a heinous plan to make some money. The weeks leading up to that October 31st of 74, he decided to take out a life insurance on the members of his family. And that Halloween night, he grabbed some of the candy that he was getting ready to give out and he tampered with it, interfered with it, added to it, ended up giving it to his family and later on that night, killing his own family. After investigations and warnings, they started to find out that it was himself who did this, Ronald O'Brien took him to court and the trial began. And because of what he did, he gained the nickname Candyman. And this was Candyman who altered, tampered with candy so that he could collect life insurance from his family members. It was wicked. I think about this example because I think this is what is happening today when it comes to the word of God. I think we have a lot of candy men and candy women that are opening the word of God and are altering, tampering, adding, injecting their own philosophies, their own ideologies, their own lies into the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Be careful with candy men and candy women that are giving poison instead of God's truth. To tamper means to make something weak or to change something for the worse. Today, there's preachers everywhere that are trying to weaken or change the word of God. Can I tell you, there's only one word, and I'm thankful for the word because the word is alive and it is powerful and it is from God. And today, they're trying to tamper with it. They're trying to change it up. They're actually trying to change God's truth for a lie. In the world today, a bunch of us are living, believing in lies. We are ingesting lies, believing lies, listening to lies because people are afraid of the truth, running from the truth, and only peddling lies. Are you with me? Today, we got to be careful. In fact, I put it this way. Lies in life lead to a loss in life. Every single time we either tell a lie or believe a lie, it will end up in some kind of loss in our life. Today, the whole world is losing in one way or another. We are losing knowledge in our education for believing lies. We are losing wisdom in our political spheres because we're believing lies. We are losing morals in our culture because we're believing lies. We're losing values. We are losing knowledge of God's word and God's truth because we have started to believe lies instead of truth. 1 p.m., are you with me? And so we must be careful what we take in because if you start ingesting and digesting lies, it will show up in your life when all of a sudden you have a loss of peace and a loss of hope and a loss of joy and you find yourself at a point of your life where you are confused, fed up, tired, and it might be because somebody has fed me lies. 
And the moment we start taking in those lies, I thought this would bring me happiness. I thought this would bring me joy. I thought this would be the answer. But lies lead to loss. Now, if lies lead to loss, that means truth leads to life. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we got the truth of God's word. Because if every lie has taken, then the truth of God's word gives me. Come on, 1 p.m. Oh, come on. If every lie has taken joy, I'm thankful that I got the truth of God's word that gives me joy. If lie has taken peace, I'm thankful that I got the truth of God's word that gives me peace. If the lies of the world has made me sick, I'm glad I got the truth of God's word that brings healing to my bones. I'm thankful for the truth of God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anybody thankful for Jesus at 1 p.m.? Oh, come on. We got the truth. You better give him a praise, 1 p.m. Come on, we, we got the truth. Oh, I know they're lying. I know they're peddling some uh, kind of tempered word of God. I know they're spewing all kind of poison, but we got the truth, and that is the unadulterated, uncontaminated, pure gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that we got Jesus. Oh, I don't know about you, but I came thankful this afternoon that I got a good God. I got a good Savior, that he gives me the good gospel, that he's good for my soul. Come on, 1 p.m. I'm thankful I got God. Woo, come on, 1 p.m. You're acting all cute on me, but, but I'm thankful I got Jesus because the world's trying to confuse me. The world's trying to dilute the gospel. The world's trying to contaminate the gospel, but it's the only one that heals. It's the only one that saves. It's the only one that, was, that delivered. When I was lost, he found me. When I was confused, he showed me. When I was sick, he healed me. I wish I had a witness. Anybody thankful that he healed you? Anybody thankful that he found you? Anybody thankful that he picked me up? Oh, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. Come on, somebody. I don't care what preacher on TikTok says what. They're contaminating the word of God with lies. And we digest it, and we ingest it. Little by little, our spirit is contaminated with poisonous lies. But I, today you're saying, Alex, how can I know the truth? You got the truth in your hands. It's the word of God. Anybody thankful for the word of God? Today, literally, I'm trying to persuade you to fall in love with the word of God. I know some of us, we get home and we put it in our drawer and we don't pick it up for a week later. And next Sunday you pick it up and you're like, <laughs> right? But can I tell you, this is medicine for the soul. Yes. You need this more than coffee. Yeah. You need this more than TikTok, Instagram. You need this more than Facebook. You need this more than water. You need this more than anything else. You need the word of God in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon. Come on, this is what we need. Bishop Phil Mion said, <laughs> what we read, the word of God that we read with our eyes, our ears hear the voice of God. Every single time you read the word of God, read it out loud to yourself because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so truth comes to give. 
Jesus says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life in abundance. Today, if you're lacking in life, get Jesus. Get God's word. He'll give you life in abundance, life to the fullest. Life that overflows is literally what it means. I'm thankful that he gives me life and life to the fullest. I put it this way today. God's truth leads to good life. Today, Alex, I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for hope. I'm looking for joy. I'm trying to find my way. Get in God's word. It will lead you to the good path, the good track, the good life. And it's only found with Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. 1 p.m., are you with me? Yes. What's happening in 2 Timothy? We, we spoke a little bit about this last week. But, but this is actually extremely profound and interesting because Paul is the one that is writing this letter. He's authoring this letter and he's writing to his son in the faith. He's writing to his protege, basically somebody that he pastored and helped and mentored. And now Paul, where is he at? He's in Rome and he is in prison. He's literally in jail and prison in the dungeons of Rome. This is where Paul is writing from, in the deep, dark dungeons of Rome He's writing to his son in the faith, his protege, his, his student, Timothy, who he left as a pastor of a city called Ephesus. Timothy's now pastoring this church in Ephesus. And that's why when we read the book of Ephesians, it's, that's the church that Timothy's pastoring. And, and Paul, he's writing because remember, he's writing under extreme pressure. The context that he's writing in is not a nice, friendly time. He's writing under dark, hard times. He's, on, he's underground in Rome, but what's happening above ground? Above ground, the emperor Nero, the emperor of the time of the Roman Empire, is literally killing Christians. Literally, literally, he has this savage rage toward Christians that he grabs them and he throws them in arenas with lions. He lights up his garden that night by lighting them on fire alive in his gardens. He hates Christians. And Paul knows his time is coming up soon because Nero, he doesn't like us. He hates us. He wants to kill us all. And soon after this letter, Paul would be executed when they would cut off his head in Rome. That's how Paul died. Right before he dies, he's writing this letter to Timothy. And he's telling Timothy, you, be, be careful because there's something in the air. There's this anti-Christ, anti-God spirit in the air. They don't like us. They hate our message. They hate the word. They hate the word of Jesus. They don't believe him. Nero thinks he's God and he wants to be worshipped. And so, Timothy, you stay faithful. Timothy, don't you move. Stand firm. And he begins to give them directions. Last week, we said he, that he wrote, Timothy, in the last days, people would be lovers of themselves. We saw that in the Greek, it literally means they kiss themselves. They approve anything that they want to do in of themselves. They are their own gods. They are lovers of money, he said. They are disobedient to parents. They are abusive. They are without self-control. And he goes on and on and he lists these things. And he says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They look like they're Christian. They look like they go to church, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. They are not. And he says, avoid them. And then he says, but you, you continue believing. You continue confessing. You continue imitating Jesus. And then he gets to this part as he's about to close out the letter to his son in the faith, his student. Let's read it one more time. Verse 14, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But as for you, continue what you have learned. Beautiful as Paul pens this in a dungeon in Rome. Continue what you've learned and have firmly believed. Knowing from whom you learned it. 
and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred rite. Timothy, don't you forget what you learned when you were young. Don't you forget you used to go to Sunday school and they taught you all the stories of the Old Testament. Don't you forget all those VeggieTale movies you saw, Timothy. <laughs> Fall in love with the word. Don't you forget the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then I love how he finishes this part. We read it just a few moments ago, but look what he says one more time. Verse 16, all scripture. He doesn't say some, right? Does he say, hey, half of the scriptures? Hey, every other verse. <laughs> hey, the ones that you like. Hey, the ones that are all about love are breathed out by. No, he says all. Somebody say all. all. Come on, one more time. Say all. All, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in, right? You want to be righteous? Get all of Scripture in you. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now remember, this is actually shocking to read if you're not a Christian at that time because who had all the power? Nero. Who had all the worship? Nero. Who had all worship and authority? The Roman Empire. And Paul, what he does is that he elevates the word of God above the Roman Empire, above the emperor Nero, above anything you have beheld, read, or will read. It's the word of God. All scripture is breathed out by... God, woo! Paul, Paul's writing this in prison, amening himself. All scripture, woo, amen, this is good, Paul. It's all breathed out by God. Now, now maybe, maybe Timothy asked the question that I've asked and maybe you've asked. Because all scriptures, how do we know that? How can I trust the Bible? All scriptures breathed out by God. Paul, how so? Because Nero is telling me to worship him. The Roman Empire is asking me to bow my knee to the name of Nero and the Roman Empire. How do I know this is the ultimate truth? Have people ever asked you, how, you know the, how do you know the Bible is true? Man wrote it. <laughs> They've changed it a thousand times. Somebody asked me that a few weeks ago. Hey, how can we trust the Bible? They've changed it so many times. I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about it. Three reasons why we can trust the Bible. Can we talk about it for a moment? Yeah. We can trust the Bible, number one, because of the unity in the Bible. Right. Somebody say unity. unity. The Bible is unique. It's like no other book in the history of mankind because it was written across a span of almost 1,500 years by 40 different authors that lived in different times, yet it's still all one message supernaturally tied together about God's love to humanity. Isn't that crazy? One writer, he put it this way when he talked about the word of God. He says, the Bible has a remarkable inner consistency. It was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, from kings to commoners. It's written in three languages. It's written in three continents. It's written in a multiplicity of political and social economic cultures and contexts. And yet, it is one book one singular message, no inconsistencies or contradictions. There is no other book even remotely like the Bible. Come on. It's God's word. Supernaturally, it is one book with a supernatural unity. 
Peter's talked about the Bible this way, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. Knowing this verse, that first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. All right, like somebody didn't say, well, this is what I think. Let me write this. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's beautiful. In other words, I'll put it simple. God spoke it, man wrote it. Are you with me, 1 p.m.? God spoke it, men wrote it. There's a unity in the Bible that's astounding. It's beautiful. Number one, you can rely on the word of God because of its unity. Number two, because of its accuracy. Somebody say accuracy. It's accurate. The word of God is extremely, extremely accurate. I'll read you what I found about the accuracy of the word of God. The Bible takes place in real time. It's set alongside of historical events. And when we look to the historical data, or look to the archaeological evidence, we see corroborative evidence for the text of the Bible. Everything the Bible talks about, the places, the cities, from old to new, over 1,500 years, they're real places. Scientific proof behind what this geological, geographical proof, what the Bible says is true. Crazy. Now, when it comes to the ultimate, well, how can we trust the Old Testament? In 1947, I believe, there was a young man that was walking his sheep. And you, you should look this up. It's, it's really crazy what happened that year. And he grabbed some rocks and he was throwing rocks and he decided to throw a rock into a cave. And when he throws a rock into a cave, he hears that it hits something in there. Something made some noise. So they go in there and they begin to investigate. In those caves in Israel, they found what is known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. There were giant vases and inside those vases, were some scrolls. I was there in Israel. I saw, I wasn't there in 1947. I mean, we visited the place and we got to see all the caves. There's massive caves and it says, and they point you cave A, cave B, cave C, where they found all these different Dead Sea Scrolls. Why was it profound? Look at this. The Dead Sea Scrolls contained Old Testament scripture dating a thousand years older than any manuscripts we had. And when comparing the manuscripts at hand with these from a thousand years earlier, we find agreement 99.5% of the time. And the 0.5 difference are minor spelling variances and sentence structures that don't change the meaning of the sentence. I really believe it was supernatural godly providence that allowed the kid to throw the rock in there, find the Dead Sea Scrolls to say, oh yeah, a thousand years earlier, same scripture, nobody changed it, nobody tampered with it, nobody, no, come on, it's the word of God. They found, you can go to the Museum of the Bible in Israel and see copies of Isaiah originally thousands of years ago. And they're like, whoa, what we have in our hands is what they had in their hands. It's beautiful. How about the New Testament? The New Testament, one writer puts it this way. Uh, regarding the New Testament as humanity's most reliable ancient document. I'll give you some examples. We learned about the Old Testament now and how accurate that is. The New Testament, I'll give you some examples. Plato. We've heard of Plato. Plato wrote a book called The Republic. It's a classic. It was written by Plato around 380 BC. The earliest copies we have are dated from 900 AD, meaning 1300 years later, it's the first copy we have of Plato. And from those copies, we only have seven. We only have seven copies of that, yet nobody doubts Plato wrote The Republic. We take it, he wrote this we're going to have seven original copies, and they're 1,300 years. Okay, Caesar, Caesar wrote Gallic Wars, and it was written around 100 to 44 B.C. 
The copies that we have today are, are dated a thousand years after he wrote it, and we only have 10 copies. Yet nobody doubts Caesar wrote Gallic Wars. Homer, you guys know Homer, not from the Simpsons, Homer who wrote the Iliad. He wrote the Iliad, which is one of the most famous classic writings of all time. He wrote that in 800 BC. The copies that we have are for, from 400 BC, meaning 400 years apart. And of those, we have 645 copies, one of the most that we have. We have seven, we have 10, and then we have 645. So nobody doubts Homer. 400 years apart of the Iliad, 645 copies. Cool. When it comes to the New Testament now, when it comes to the New Testament, it was written between 50 to 100 AD. All were written within 50 to 200 years of their original writing. And we have more than 5,000 copies of the early manuscripts. And it says this, the scribes were meticulous in copying the original manuscripts. They checked and rechecked their work to make sure it perfectly matched. What the New Testament writers originally wrote is actually preserved better than any ancient manuscript. We can be more certain about what we read about Jesus' life and words than we are of Caesar, Plato, or Homer. It's the New Testament that God preserved for humanity. Oh, come on, this is the Word of God. It's accurate. Number one, there's a unity. Number two, there's an accuracy. And we'll finish number three with prophecies. You can rely on the Bible because of the prophecies that have happened. The Bible has more than 2,000 prophecies. Over 1,500 of them have already come to pass. 100% accurate. It's not like, oh, the Bible was closed. That was 60%. No, 100% what is said came to pass. You understanding 1 p.m.? And the ones that haven't come to pass all have to do with the final times, the last hour. Those are the only ones we're waiting for them to happen. Everything else 100% precise. In fact, the Old Testament is proven by the New Testament to be extremely accurate in prophecies. And I'll just give you a couple examples because we don't have that much time. But for example, Isaiah chapter 7 says that Jesus would be born of a virgin. In Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 28, Luke confirms Jesus was born from a virgin. Thousands of years before in Isaiah chapter 9, it says that the Messiah would start his ministry in Galilee. In Matthew chapter 4, he tells us Jesus began to preach in Galilee. In the book of Psalms, this is David's time. I'm talking about this is thousands of years before. It says that the Messiah would teach in parables. In Matthew chapter 13, that's exactly how Jesus teaches. In Isaiah 53, again, hundreds of years before Jesus, it says that he would be crucified between two thieves. And what does the Bible tell us in Matthew chapter 27 that Jesus is exactly crucified between two thieves as one turns to him and asks for salvation. And he tells him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not only would he die, the Bible also says in Psalm chapter 16 that he would not stay dead but that the Messiah would resurrect. And the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that Jesus resurrected. In fact, it says that he hung around with the disciples for 40 days and over 500 people witnessed Jesus, hung out with Jesus, talked with Jesus, sang with Jesus, ate hummus and pita with Jesus, like Jesus resurrected. And he wouldn't just stay. The Bible also says in Psalm chapter 68 that he would ascend. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 9, it says that Jesus ascended to the Father. Exact prophecies, not sort of, not maybe, not 100% accurate. We have outside evidence that Jesus was a man who really lived. 
Josephus. Go, go look at old ancient text. There was a man, Jesus Christ, that really lived. And something happened after his death that the disciples were nuts and started spreading this gospel everywhere. In fact, one of the Roman emperors that expels Jews from Rome, he's so upset because they keep talking about this, name, this man named Christos, Jesus Christ. It's in the history books of the Roman Empire. There's a group of crazy people who are after and calling and proclaiming Jesus Christ. What gave them the boldness? What gave them the faith? It's the resurrection of Jesus. Today, we have the Word of God. And there is a war on the Word of God. All you need is two eyes and two ears to see and hear what's happening. Sense it with your spirit. All you got to do is just listen for a little bit to our culture, to our society. There is a war against the Word of God, Calvary. People hate it. People have been persecuted for it. They hate the Word of God. I'll just give you some examples in modern time of what has happened. The war of words in recent time. In 1738, Ethan Allen, a, ph a philosopher, he rejected the authority of the Bible. In 1800, the philosopher Thomas Paine assaulted the Bible and Christianity. In 1848, Karl Marx calls religion the opiate of the masses, pushing his communist manifesto. In 1859, Charles Darwin, he actually proposed evolution instead of creationism going against the Bible. In 1895, Sigmund Freud, he taught that men acting upon their innate desires was not sinful but natural. In 1918, a prominent pastor in New York City denies that Jesus is God. In 1931, a moderator of the Presbyterian Church says that there is no forgiveness at the cross. In 1944, a bishop of the Methodist Church, he calls the God the bully of the Old Testament and goes against God's word. In 1993, a bishop from the Escapillion Church determined that the stories of the Bible were not true and went against the Word of God. As Paul is writing this in Rome, some years later he has to write the book of Galatians because there are Judaizers that are entering the Galatian region telling people that Jesus is not enough to be saved and all men had to be circumcised. And they were preaching the circumcision gospel. Thank God that that is a lie. Some years later, some men started to preach the poverty gospel that you had to be poor in order to be saved. In modern times, it's the prosperity gospel that you must be rich to be saved. If it's not one lie, it's another. We got candy men and candy women all ingesting, all inputting, all tampering the word of God. There is only one word. There's only one truth. It is a pure gospel, unadulterated, uncontaminated. It is Jesus Christ. It's his death, burial, resurrection. There is no other God. There is no other word. There is no other way. There's only one God. There's only one salvation. There's only one that saves. There's only one that heals. There's only one that gives life. His name is Jesus. Come on. Nothing else. Nothing else will do it. And we run and look across different platforms. Who can do it? In 1931, a man was born named Jim Jones who became the pastor of the Disciples of Christ. Years later, he turns into a cult and a cult leader, adding poison to the Word of God, tampering the Word of God, interfering with the Word of God. Called them all to commit suicide. 909 drank a cyanide with him and all killed themselves. 
Why? Because people twist scriptures. People twist verses so that they can live however they like, so that they can do whatever they want. He was a liar, a thief, a candy man, just selling candy that was full of poison, killing people. That means what you hear may kill you. Be careful what you hear. Today, we actually want to twist scripture to live however we want. One writer says, to live sexually immoral, to live with our partners, to eat ex excessively, which is gluttony, to drink until we're drunk, which is debauchery, for our anger, for our rage, for our temper, all in the name of the word, we'll excuse our sin, our pride, our arrogance, we'll have no humility, we'll mistreat and not love, we won't forgive, we'll excuse sin in our lives and in other people's lives, to confuse gender, to marry the same sex, to indoctrinate children, we dabble into pathism all by twisting the word, because we want to do what we want, be careful with can candy men and candy women that only give you what you want to hear. There's only one word. It challenges, but it's good for the soul. Come on, Calvary, are you with me? I'm going to ask you to hold that for a moment. But this is happening in our culture today. Listen to me, church. You go on platforms today and people are telling you whatever they want. You want a preacher that satisfies your needs, you'll find one on TikTok. You'll find one on Instagram. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I don't know. Today's message, I don't, that's not for me. I don't know. I'm going to go on TikTok, and I like what this preacher says. Yeah, because he scratches your itching ear. I just want somebody to tell me I'm cute and God loves me just how I am and I don't got to change anything. You'll find that. You'll find candy men, candy women selling all kind of gospel that is not true. We'll find that. I would like that too. That I don't have to change. It's beautiful. I can remain with a bad temper. I can remain not humble. I can remain proudful. I can remain uh, whatever kind of sin we're dealing with. Like, oh, this is easy. He loves me just as I am. I can do whatever I want. Be careful with those that are selling candy. Tampered, altered, infected with their philosophies and ideologies and it's not the word of God. Scott Hubert says, so in the church's global mission against the gates of hell, words are our greatest weapon. What does he mean? Just keep preaching the word of God. Alex, what? What are you guys going to do next year? Like, is Calvary going to do something different? We're going to preach Jesus. Yeah. That's good. That's good, man. But, but like, you know, like, what, what else are you guys got? Like, go it up. Jesus. That's what we got. I know, but I come to service. Like, I'm, you know, you're going, what, what's, what's next? Jesus. That's all we're doing. We're getting up here and we're preaching Jesus. I know, but like, like, there's a lot of people to reach. Like, how about the young people? Jesus. Jesus. What about 2025? Jesus. What about, what about like 2030? You got to have like a different like strategy. Jesus. We're going to preach Jesus. Any service, any campus, any moment you walk in, it's all about Jesus. Calvary, we got to continue to preach Jesus, point to Jesus, proclaim Jesus. He's the only Savior. He's the only answer. He's the only way. He's the only truth. There's only one God. There's only one King. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Oh, come on. The Word of God. 
It'll turn a drug dealer into a preacher. It'll turn a sick person into a healed person. There is no other way. There is no other option. There is no other book. There is no other route. It's all Jesus. Only Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. We're not here to do it. I'm glad we got lights and cool graphics and all. We don't need any of that. We just need Jesus. We could do without it. We could do without it. It's all Jesus. Be careful with the preaching you hear and the preaching you do because it can kill you. I'm about to finish, I promise. I said that twice, but Paul is writing to Timothy in the chapter right before. As he, remember, all of 2 Timothy is basically, I'm about to go, Nero's about to kill me. Timothy, you stay faithful. Look what he tells him in verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. He's talking to the church. He's talking to Timothy, the elders, the deacons, the dream team, everybody. Don't quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Number one, be careful because lies lead to catastrophes. The lies you ingest can lead to ruins. Literally when he says, which does no good but leads to ruins, the word in the Greek is catastrophe. The lies we ingest and listen to can lead us to ruins. Don't get into useless arguments on Facebook and social media about what this person said and that person said. I've seen Christians do it my whole life. Jump on Facebook for five minutes. Everybody's arguing about who the Antichrist is. What? What translation should we use? We got, we got no time. I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to focus on the word of God. That's all we're going to preach. We're not here to throw shots at anybody. We need the united body of Christ everywhere to preach Jesus, lift up Jesus. Like, Don't go into useless stuff because it leads to catastrophes, ruins, literally, to destroy, to break down. That's what it means. And he says, Timothy, we're not here to break down. We're here to build up. There's an antichrist spirit in those lies. They only tear down. You stay focused. There was a company called DuPont. In the 1950s, they started making this product called Teflon. And I'm sure you've heard of Teflon. And they started putting it in pans. And it's the no-stick pans that many people started buying in the 50s and 60s when it first came out. The problem is when it first came out, they didn't know that it had toxic ingredient called C8. C8 is extremely toxic. And, and it was making employees in their own laboratory sick. In fact, two women that were pregnant had baby with a bunch of birth defects. And people started to complain and started to see everything that was happening in their labs. And so DuPont actually ignored it because they wanted to continue to make a profit. And they moved over to a farmland and they leased farmland from this farm man. And uh, he said, fine, but just don't put anything toxic in my farmland. I got cattle and just make a place where you can produce your product. He had no idea it was poisonous and toxic. After some time, over 280 cows died. And the farmer is like, what's going on with my cattle? And he goes to find out. You can look this up, true story. And he grabs one of the cows that were dead and he opens it up. And as he opens it up, he finds a neon green substance in the stomach and in the intestines. Because the C8, the harmful product, was being poured in the river. The river had turned toxic. You can see a foam over the water. That was the water that the cows drank. It was in the grass that the cows ate. Be careful because what you're ingesting could kill you. Lies they actually lead to catastrophes. And we don't know it, and we ingest a little bit from here and a little bit from there. Itching ears. We have a playlist of preachers that all tell us what we like. 
not just church preachers, social media preachers, gurus, new age, philosophies, false religions, false doctrine, false teaching. And I like this coach and I like this life speaker and I like this one that just motivates me. I like this one that tells me there's all ways to heaven. I like this one that tells me I can live however I want. I like this. Like, and, and we mix Jesus with all of that. And what we're doing is that we're tampering the word of God, adding cyanide to the word of God, killing ourselves. Lies lead to catastrophes. Number two, truth leads to effectiveness. He says, don't you do that, but you do this. Verse 15, we can put it up. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Somebody say approved. Do your best to show yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You know literally what it means there? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. It says work hard. Work hard at studying the scriptures, Timothy. Calvary, can we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit through Paul today telling us the same thing? You work hard. You go home. It literally means to work hard over scripture, to read it in the morning and to meditate it on it during lunch, to go home at night and take it in, work hard to study it. In the Greek, the word picture is literally to sweat over it. Some of us are sweating over Instagram and Facebook more than we are on the word of God. Hey, look who unfollowed me. I'm going to block them too. Like, you know, I never liked them to begin with. Like, who cares about that? We need the word of God in our life more than ever. In our culture, in America, in our families, we need the word. Be approved that you know how to handle it. What he means there, one translation says that you know how to divide it. And what he means there in the Greek is literally lines that are cut, that you know how to cut the word of God in the right way. Why should we learn? Paul was a tent maker. That means he dealt with leather. He knew how to cut leather. So to sew it in the right places. What do we got to cut out? Well, number one, lies lead to catastrophes. Number two, it leads to effectiveness, truth. And he says in verse 16, but avoid inerrant babble. It will lead to people into more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. You got to cut it out. Get the word of God and, and cut out the gangrene in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit. My rebellion, my lawlessness, my antichrist spirit, my anti-God attitude, my I could do whatever I want. I don't got to listen to no pastor. Who, who am I listening to pastor anyways? And I don't need no leader in my life and dream team leader. I don't need nothing. Rebellion, cut that out. Lawlessness. Can't nobody tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. You're killing yourself. He says, cut it out. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. He calls two people out. Paul is shot out. They've swerved from the truth. He's like, you mess up, I'm calling you out in a public letter. Saying that the resurrection has already happened. You can't do that in today's culture. You call people out, they'll cancel you because they got offended. Verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands. After he says all this, after he says, hey, lies, it will lead to ruins. Hey, be effective with the truth, he says, but God's firm foundation stands. And it bears this here. What a way to finish. I love it. Paul is a preacher. I'm talking about he's writing this in prison like dancing. He knows death is before him, yet he knows where he stands. He knows Nero's about to kill him, but he knows what's on the other side. Basically, you can take my body, but I'm Jesus is all the way. And my spirit, that's why he says, 
to die is gain and to live is Christ. It says we have this firm foundation and it bears this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. He says lies will destroy you, be effective with the truth and we have the word that leads us to a foundation. That's point number three. Today, you and I, we got a foundation we can stand in a shifting world full of shifting sands where everything's moving. You and I can stand on the absolute word of God that is based on the son of God and it's the people of God as we all proclaim who Jesus is. That's a firm foundation, Calvary. We're not running back and forth all over the internet. Who can give me some come? Some, no, we're standing on the firm foundation. It's the word, it's the son, and it's the church. And it will hold you steady. When the world begins to shake, and it's shaking. When culture comes after your family, and it's coming. When ideologies come and tell you what morals and values are, and it's happening. You need to stand firm on the word of God. I'll finish with this last story. Throughout human history, there's been all type of natural disasters that have come and destroyed homes and buildings. And mankind has always tried to figure out how do we make stuff that is stable? So that no matter what the tectonic plates move or shift, or no matter what wind or storms come, we need something that is stable. And years and years ago in construction, they made this one boat that is called the J-Bolt. It's in the form of the letter J. And that J-boat changed everything because you attach that to the walls. And now the J-boat goes into the foundation of the building. So that no matter what winds may come or what storms hit, the J has you attached to the foundation and you are not moving. This J-boat this changed the game because they attach it to poles when they put them in cement foundations. And the J-boat goes all the way down there and like a hook, it comes back up and you fill it with cement. And now there's no moving that pole from the foundation because the J-boat has me. I want to tell you about a better J-boat that we have. Oh, come on, his name is Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I got the J-boat. I'm thankful that a man named Jesus all thousands of years ago saw me in my sin but he says you shall not stay that way i'll come i'll die for your sin i'll go down to the grave and three days later the j-boat he resurrected oh come on that's the j-boat that's holding my soul that's the anchor of my soul that's the one that holds me when life is crazy that's the one that keeps me when the waves come crashing when all of society loses its mind there's just one name there's just one king there's just one savior his name is jesus come on why don't we sing it out come on every eye closed every head bowed i want to pray for the last group of people and after that tell you about a gift we have and then celebrate baptisms whatever you eye closed every head bowed come on as we're all praying i'm gonna lead you into a salvation moment if today you want to start a brand new life and then pastor john's gonna come up here and tell you about a gift that we have whatever your eye closed every head bow in a moment of prayer privacy if today you're in here you're saying Alex I'm far from God I feel distant from God I know I don't have a relationship with God maybe you're thinking about all the things you've done wrong all the sin in your life the truth is all of us are sinners I'm a sinner you're a sinner none of us are perfect and the Bible says that sin separates us from God, but God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
so that whosoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. The Bible says that Jesus came and he grabbed my sin, your sin. Jesus went up on a cross with the sins of humanity on his shoulders. He's the only one that lived the perfect life. He was sinless and yet he died in sin for you and for me. The Bible says that the wages or the penalty or the price of sin is death. Meaning you and I, we should have died for our own sins, but we couldn't. Jesus says, I'll take death so that you can have life. Jesus died in our place on that cross. He went down to a grave. And the Bible says that Jesus was dead for three days and the anti-God, anti-Christ spirits celebrated and they had a party until three days later. The Bible says that the stone was rolled away. And Jesus did not stay dead, but he resurrected from the dead. And the Bible says he's the first of many, meaning you and I, once we become believers in Jesus, death is not the final stage. Death now becomes the doorway to eternal life for God. And the Bible says he who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. Today, it doesn't matter how far you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. Maybe you're thinking I'm full of shame and guilt. I got an answer for you is Jesus. Jesus can give you the hope that you're looking for, the peace that you're looking for. There's no one like Jesus. Today, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I'm gonna to count to three. If you say, Alex, I need Jesus today, today, not tomorrow. The Bible says tomorrow is promised for no man. Today's the day of salvation. Today, you need to run. I'm gonna to count to three. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hand. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna single you out. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I just wanna see who I'm praying for. When I count to three, lift up your hand high enough, long enough for me to see you, then you can put it right back down. If you're saying, I need Jesus, I need a new beginning. I wanna leave my old life behind today. I need a brand new life at the count of three. Lift up your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you, I see you, I see you. God bless you, God bless you. Amazing, God bless you. You can put your hands back down. Put your hands down. Come on, let's pray together, Calvary. It's one big voice, one big family. All of us, let's repeat this together. We're, we're now confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. In one voice, let's say it together. Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. I know that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God that you died for my sins and on the third day, you resurrected. Come into my life. Jesus, be my Lord and be my Savior. From today on, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, and I'm healed. Amen.